The Broken Meeple, Season 3, Episode 8, recorded on the 9th of July, 2019. The Broken Meeple Podcast, a show devoted to board games, card games, and the people who play them. Sit back and enjoy, and remember, it's only a game. Two big events have taken place recently, my excursion to Ting, also known as This Is Not Gridcon, hosted by Paul Grogan and his team, and also the results of the Dice Tower Awards. I give my thoughts on my experiences on this convention, and my thoughts on the results. Hello, welcome, and thanks for tuning in to another podcast episode. Yes, uh, hope you enjoyed the last couple, which were focused on the UK Games Expo. You know, that was uh, something that was aired on YouTube and on the podcast as well. Although, thankfully, the podcast episode didn't have to go through the same trauma as my YouTube one did, where it got subject to a somewhat unnecessary copyright claim, and I had to go through pretty much as much cortisol stress levels as I could to try and get the matter resolved, and it still isn't even 100% resolved to this day, but oh well, move on, you know, these things happen, I just gotta deal with it. Other than that though, the blog and podcast seem to be going pretty well, I've been experimenting with a new lens you will notice on my YouTube videos with wide angle. I've managed to get a new lens for the camera, it does wide angle, and it covers a lot more of my background and keeps everything in sharp focus. I personally like it, but I've been trialing it for a few videos and the response has been kind of mixed. You know, some of you have liked it and really gone like, oh yeah, I like this, I can see more of the background, just cover up some boxes and stuff like that. But the problem is that a good half of you are not a big fan either. So I can't really expect that. I mean, I've got two more videos to air. One of them is going up tonight. Uh, Small Islands review, and then one more for the Realm of Sands review. Those are my last ones I have pre-recorded as wide angle as part of this trial to see what the response is like. I have a feeling that once that is done, I will probably revert back to the original 24mm lens I was using before, but just trying to be a bit more diligent with the focus, like manual focus on it, and of course, having to resort to having my shotgun mic pointed a bit further away from me, which is not ideal. I might have to maybe look into getting a really expensive lavalier mic and see whether that works, because a shotgun mic is best when it's pointing directly at my mouth, which with the wide-angle lens it is, but it isn't when I'm using the 24 millimeter because the camera is just too far back but people have complained that as much as everything is in sharp focus the fact that I'm in the center of the picture is not as good as when I'm off center and I agree if you know anything about photography there is the rule of thirds and they've also mentioned that because the wide angle distorts the visuals a little bit it makes my you know my hand gestures you know because I'm quite an active person on video that it makes me look a bit like Mr. Fantastic so it's a little bit hit and miss, but you know, I've appreciated all the feedback that everyone's given. And it's not like I will probably abandon wide angle entirely, because I still like it. It's very easy to set up and just get going. So what I might do is reserve the reviews and maybe the top 10s for the 24mm one. And then maybe the top 10s, I'm still undecided which one I'll do, but certainly vlogs that I want to do, you know, just set it up and talk for a bit. 
those will definitely be wide angle because I don't think they need to be the 24 millimeter thing. They can just be the nice rough uh, vlog style. So I want to be able to use the lens because obviously I want to get my money's worth, but outside of just general scenery photography. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm thinking of going at the moment because as much as half of you have said this is a really cool feature, the fact is it wasn't exactly broke before and I don't want to alienate the people who have been, you know, long-time subscribers. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like I'm going to try and do both as a compromise, but I think reviews will have to go back to the 24mm rule because I don't think I can do much about the distortion matter. Well, I don't know. I'll try maybe one more video to experiment, but we'll see. Anyway, enough of that. Like I say, generally, everything else is pretty good as we now enter the summer where I'm roasting like crazy because I am not very good in the summer heat. You know, I really can't take it. You know, this house is a new build house, so it gets pretty warm, pretty warm pretty easily. But, you know, at least uh, work's been going all right. Uh, social life is still just, you know, games and games. And as we get more into the late summer, it means the conventions are starting to come back. Obviously, I've got Ting to talk about in a second, but then there's HandyCon coming around the corner. There's Tabletop Scotland coming soon after that. And then there's Essen in October, and then GridCon, you know, the new GridCon, more on that in a minute, uh, with November. So, yeah, the conventions are going to start rolling in. So while we're on the subject of conventions, why don't I get to the point? Ting, or to give it the full abbreviation, this is not GridCon, a kind of a little side joke by Paul Grogan, was hosted by Gaming Rules and their team over in Columpton back in Devon, closer to my neck of the woods. I'm from Somerset, Devon's next door. As far as I'm concerned, Devon, Cornwall, Somerset, it's all the West Country. I love all three of them, so I like to be back in the area. But this was basically a precursor to GridCon, which he's going to start hosting from November and again somewhere around the July-August time. I think more around June, July, actually. But the idea was is that he wanted to give this one a bit of a test drive. He's got a different hotel for GridCon, so it's nearby. It's as near as makes no difference in terms of distance away from where we were. But this was kind of like a practice go. You know, is there enough people who want to come to a convention that he hosts? You know, and this is just small scale. We're not talking, you know, the likes of, you know, Aircon or the UK Games Expo or anything. This is more kind of like a... It's kind of like a miniature, slightly smaller version of HandyCon in a sense. It's just a case of, look, we can get a couple hundred people in this venue to play games and he'll get some play testers, some people to do demos of new games, which is quite cool. And, you know, generally everybody just turns up and has a good time while in the nice area of Devon. So it's a nice, easy thing to, well, not an easy thing to run, but it's one of those easygoing conventions. You know, you don't have to prep miles in advance. You can, there's a small library there that, you know, it probably needs to be a little bigger for something like GridCon, but people bring their own games anyway, so it's not a massive deal. But yeah, it's just to get people into the hobby or just to get, you know, veteran gamers together and have a good social time. And that we certainly did. So with this, it just took place at a community centre in Columpton. Uh, the Columpton Community Centre, I think it's just called. That won't be the venue for GridCon, so this is just, there's no much point talking about the venue itself. I mean, the venue was fine. I just wish I had air conditioning. It was a bit hot. And note to self, buy a very large mug and bring it to all future conventions, just in case that when you order a tea and coffee, they give it to you in this titchy little mug or titchy little cup thing plastic cup that literally it's like look I know it's a quid but seriously I want at least to have a little bit of caffeine in my system by the time I'm done with this so you know note to self bring a giant mug <laughs> it's, it's water in a tea bag at the end of the day they can't have a go at you for it but yeah 
I, I went there, went there for the whole Friday, half of Friday and all of Saturday, like I said, it was a shortage convention, and got involved with quite a few long-length games, not just uh, you know demos of the new hotness or certainly new upcoming games that haven't been released yet, but also just a couple of games which are like, oh my god, these are long, and you know me, I don't normally go for long games, but you know, at a convention this is the only chance I get to play these sort of long games, and it kind of like, you know what, the company's good, I want to try something new. And you never know, you might find a hidden gem. So I'm just going to mention a few of the games that I was playing, and just give you my general thoughts on them. So, we'll start off with a quickie, uh, Pitch Car. Now most of you probably know what Pitch Car is, it's a dexterity racing game where you've got these discs on a map that is basically built out of you know, various tiles and bricks and all sorts of weird stuff, you know, you can build your circuit and all you do is you flick these car discs across the, the track in order to win the race. But you can, you know, you're trying not to knock each other off but you're trying to make life harder for your opponents, you've got jumps, you've got twists and turns, it's just basically a fun family style dexterity game and this is the first time I actually got a chance to play it. It's been ages that I've seen it out and about at conventions, but I never joined in. So this time I did a couple of games, and I gotta say, yeah, it's pretty much as enjoyable as you think it's gonna be. Actually, it's it's flicking car discs on the track. Everybody's having a laugh. People's egging people on. People cheer when somebody does a really good shot. It's very simple. There's barely any rules. It's just. Something that just gets people bantering and laughing, and it, like I say, it's, it's definitely one of my favourite dexterity games to date now. Uh, and I'm not usually a fan of the flicking style dexterity games, I prefer the stacking style, like Bandu, and well, even Jenga to that extent. But no, this one certainly I think would be my favourite of the flicking style games. So yeah, Pitch Car, if you see it at a convention, I recommend you and even your children if you're there, join in, because it's a pretty good laugh all round. Next up we have Barrage. Now Barrage is a heavy Euro game, certainly a long Euro game that's uh, not yet fulfilled by Kickstarter at the moment, done by Cranio Creations and one of the designers is Simone Luciani, I think that's how you pronounce it. A lot of people know him from some other fairly dry Euro games such as Lorenzo Ni Magnifico, which I'm not a fan of, you know, Newton, which I'm more of a fan of, I think that one's pretty sweet, Council of Four, and Fruity the Mare, again not a fan of Fruity the Mare either, you know, various dry Euro games tend to be his kind of shtick, but of course he has done a few. But naturally, his name is quite popular with a lot of heavy Euro gamers, so naturally this one is quite buzzed about. In Barrage, you are effectively in some like, alternate industrial revolution, and you're basically trying, it's a resource management and you know, placement game, strategic placement game, it's kind of weird, where you're basically building dams and uh, power conduits and electricity generating stations, that kind of thing, and you're basically at what is kind of like the equivalent of, uh, what's it called, Panama Canal type area, where you're building the dams, you want water to rise from the top of the board to go all the way down to the bottom of the board while traveling through your conduits, your power stations, to generate electricity, to generate victory points, and thus win the game that way. It is a dry Euro game at the end of the day. But this one is quite a lengthy one. I mean, the Board Game Geek will say it takes you about an hour to two hours. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> so, I swear we were playing it for a good three to four hours with four players. Granted, we three of us were new, but still, come on, it's a pretty long game. And I wouldn't say that 
well, some of us weren't slow players, I wasn't, but, uh, you know, there was definitely a bit of AP that was getting generated. It's definitely a heavy game, though. I mean, there's a lot you got to think about. You know, not, that, not necessarily that it's a complicated game, but trying to understand where's the best place to put your dams, where to put the conduit, can I use my opponent's stuff for my own game, that kind of thing. And it's like, whew, it's a fair bit. It can warp your mind. Now, is it fun? Well ish. <laughs> it's not the best game I've ever played, certainly not for that ridiculous length. It does have some fun bits though. The main thing that I like is the wheel, the resource wheel, because, in, well, construction wheel, probably more accurate. The idea with this is that you get the resources in order to build the bits like the dams and the conduits and that. You put them on this wheel and it turns round. And the idea is, is that you don't get the resources back until the wheel has gone all the way round and the stuff empties out. You can spin the wheel quicker by going to certain action spaces or doing, you know, getting bonuses income and that, that allow you to turn it quicker. So you might have a ton of resources but only turn it slowly or you might have not many resources but you can turn the wheel so fast that it doesn't matter. And that I quite like. But there is a flaw with it and I'll get onto that in a minute. But I like that aspect. Secondly, the whole thing of the water being a shared and contested resource that everybody's fighting over causes quite a bit of meanness at times. It's definitely pretty cutthroat, but it, it gives you a lot to think about. You have to plan ahead. You have to think, well, if I build there, I can catch the water when it comes down later. If I build a dam there, that means I can control that area so the conduits won't work for other players. You know, there's a few other bits and bobs like you know getting contracts and some special tiles that you can get, which is all well and good, but... For a three to four hour game, this can drag a lot. And there's not really a lot of paths to victory in this game. I mean, you are basically doing what the game wants you to do. Generate electricity and get victory points. And the only other path to victory that I can see is the one that I took, which was just to build everything on my player board and get bonus points as income. Because I was playing Germany, they had some extra points compared to other players. I somehow managed to win the game reasonably comfortably, by just doing that, I literally only generated enough electricity to get out of the negative VP things at the end of the round, and I think I went mad in the last round just because I wanted the bonus tile. But that's about it. The whole concept of the game I mostly avoided, and yet I still won. That's kind of odd, but those seem to be the only two paths there are. You either go mad and get the electricity generated for lots of VP, or you just build everything. Although I don't know if that tactic would work with anybody other than Germany, because Germany gets a bit of a legs up on those kind of points. But like I say, four hours, it's long, it will cause AP, it's going to drag. But that's not my biggest issue with this game. Oh my god. When you think Kickstarter, you think, oh, it's all jazzed up and it's got lots of minis and it's going to look really good and the artwork's great. No, this game is ugly. This is such an ugly game. I'm sorry, Cranio, you can do better than this. Although, looking at your past history, maybe not tons better. But, oh my god, for a Kickstarter game, did they downgrade the components or something with this? This is bleh. It's horrible. It's all browns and greys everywhere, like marsh-type marsh colours. It's not a good looker at all. The components themselves are chinzy. They're not very, like, particularly good quality. Your player board is okay. It's a recessed board. I don't mind that. But again, it's mostly blacks and that. It's just not colourful at all. But that's not the worst thing. There are resources in this game you put on that wheel. One of them, I believe, is called wheelbarrows, and the other one is cement mixers or something. At least that's what my teacher was telling me, okay? So if I'm getting things wrong, I apologize, but I was taught this game by someone who, believably, demos this game. So I'm hoping they were talking the truth. But 
Yeah, wheelbarrows and cement mixers. Take a look at the pieces that they... I mean, I'm hoping that these were just prototype components. But from what they told me, these were like, no, this is what it's going to look like. They look nothing like wheelbarrows or cement mixers. They look like space invaders. What on earth were they? And there wasn't enough of them in the box. They were just grey and brown. Again, not very nice to look at. But they were horrible. I mean, I just joked the entire time about how they look nothing like what they're set out to be. They're tiny, they're fiddly. It's, ah, oh, they're not very nice at all. And then on top of that, that construction wheel. The construction wheel is not part of your recess player board. It is a separate thing that you basically just sort of plug into the side. And when I say plug in, I mean you basically just slot it by the side. You don't actually push it into anything. It doesn't lock into place. And the, the bits on top, a flimsy cardboard. I mean, you try and twist this wheel and it will fall out of where you slotted it in. The wheel, like, um, dividers and that will flick up and tiles will go underneath it or it won't turn, it will get stuck. It is a horrible contraption. It frustrated me to no end having to fight this wheel for supremacy over just trying to play the wretched game. It not good. If you back this, I feel your pain for paying this much money for these shoddy components. But if components and theme and art is not your big thing, then seriously, why? But you know, if you want a heavy Euro game, you will probably get that from this. So the game is not bad. I just think that it really sucks on the aesthetics front and is just way too long for what it is. I do not believe that you could play this in two hours with four players. I really don't. There is just too much going on. 60 minutes? Yeah, right. 60 minutes with two players? I'm not convinced you could do that either. But overall, it just felt very dry again. I mean, the theme is kind of there you know water flows down you put it through your power stations you get electricity but that's about as much as there is apart from that the worker placement is you know atypical your construction wheel doesn't make a huge amount of sense thematically and the player differentiation is there you basically have one special ability and a slightly different player board but you know i don't necessarily feel like the germans or the french or whatever it it is very dry, but then that's kind of Simone Luciani's stick, and a lot of people aren't a big fan on theme anyway, so they just run with it. So, Barrage for me, first impressions, at best I could give it a 5. It's average. I find it fine. I'd play it again with less players, or if people knew what they were doing, but seriously, I, I will not lose any sleep if I don't play it again, if only just to not have to deal with that stupid wheel. Next up, we have a game called Space Core 2025 to 2300 AD. Why is it called that title? I have no idea. I think it's just referred to on Board Game Geek as Space Core, so no big deal. This one has come out. It was released in 2018, but I think it's relatively new seen in the UK. That's why it was getting demoed. This is from GMT Games, and granted, GMT is not my favourite publisher of all time. Not that they make really bad games, they just don't make games that I'm a massive fan of. And I've tried to like their games. I've played Twilight Struggle, but I got bored with the political side of it. You know, I'm not a fan of its theme. I tried Thunder Alley, it has good things, but again, it just feels very mechanical, doesn't, it drags on, it's too fiddly and slow, and a lot of it comes down to their rule books just being pretty shoddy, really. But, you know, I wanted to think, you know what, I like space themes, I like space games, I wanted to give this Euro space game a try, maybe I'll find a hidden gem with GMT anyway. Now, 
This one is supposedly a fast-playing board game, fast in your bra, um, in which one to four players will explore and develop outer space over three eras. You essentially control an enterprise seeking profit by driving the expansion of humanity into the solar system and beyond. This has a feeling of The Colonists. The Colonists was a huge Euro game that basically took about eight hours to play, but you played through multiple eras, and the idea was is that the game kind of developed and felt different in those eras, or at least it got more complicated. The problem was, was that you had no need to play the first two eras, because whereas in the third and fourth era you actually did something, in the first and second era you basically, well, the second era you got a few houses and maybe found a colony, in the first era you built a shed, if you were lucky. That's pretty much all you got done in the first era, so what was the point of even playing it? Well, Space Corps does three eras. First one, you're going to Mar um, uh, Mars and beyond. And the second one, you're going to the solar system, like the boundary of the solar system. And then the third one, you're going out into deep space. And the idea is, is that rules come into play, so you can sort of learn the basics of the game, do the first era, and then teach yourself the second era's worth of rules, and then play the second era and so forth. We were taught this by Paul Grogan, and I was there with Paul Harris as well from AndyCon and another band. So, well, you know, I had, I had good company with uh, this one, and yeah, I'm glad I did have good company. The game is... The game is okay, but it suffers from a lot of problems. Firstly, being a typical GMT game, the R and the components are pretty shoddy. It's not a looker in sense. I mean, the most gorgeous looking thing on the table was probably the space playmat that we were using, which wasn't even part of the game. We just happened to be using it. But the idea is, is that you have cards with actions on them, produce and build and explore and move, and you're using these cards in order to do the various actions. But the number after the action dictates the strength of it, and depending on how high the strength is, dictates how far you can move, how much you can explore, and you know, different planets and different stars allow you to do stuff, providing you have enough of a strength for that action. You can build a little infrastructure where you can have permanent upgrades for the cards on there. It's basically a card management game at the end of the day but it's a you know it's an interesting card system and I like card management where you pick it up and you think oh, I really want this but hang on I need to get some of those maybe I'll draw that card I could use this in combo with this card and do something cool and you know all of that's pretty good and all but here's the biggest problem it's a long game, which normally, like I say, I'm not a fan of long games, but I could let that slide if I was engaged the whole time. This is a game that will take you a good three to four hours to play minimum, probably the good four hours with all three eras, especially if anybody is remotely slow. But, oh my god, for four hours, the amount of randomness in this game is ridiculous. It really is pretty bad. You have got luck of the draw. You have got luck of exploring planets and stars by flipping chits and seeing what they are. And great, yeah, it's a little bit of an exploration feel, but that's also the fact that there's good and bad tiles. You might spend a lot of effort trying to get from one planet to another, only to then be rewarded with a tile that cripples you for the rest of that era while somebody else gets lucky with a card draw or a tile flip and ends up with this lucrative planet that gets them a bunch of points. And on top of that, you've got, you know, these bonuses that you can grab, which if you get to like the very end of the solar system and take one of those, you have such a leg up in the next era. It's unreal. I mean, the balance is 
completely out of whack with what you're doing. You know, it's basically a case of, look, just get as far as you can across the solar system, and then when you get to the third era, make colonies a lot of colonies. Don't try to do produce unless you are very lucky with the cards. A produce strategy will not work. I lost by a tiebreaker, and granted, I went in the third era more for a production strategy, but I was lucky to collect a lot of those yellow cards to do it with. Had I not been able to find them, the strategy would not work, because I simply wouldn't be able to produce. I'd be forced to do other things. You are pretty much guided by the cards you draw, not by what you fancy doing. You know, I want to go explore places and find lots of minerals and, you know, mine them for resources and get my profit that way. Well, great. Unfortunately, the cards you're drawing all want you to explore and build, so I suggest you just get building bases then. Oh, great. It's kind of like terraforming Mars, where the cards pretty much dictate your whole strategy. It's, it's annoying when that happens, except this is longer than terraforming Mars. <laughs> Not by much, but it's still longer than terraforming Mars, and it just throws so much randomness at you. The downtime is insane, you know, while you're waiting for three other players to take your turn, you literally have nothing to do. It does not take you that long to plan your next move with the cards that you have, you might even have limited cards, and you've got to wait and wait and wait for the others to hurry up and finish their turns before it gets round to you. It just drags on. Now, like I said, I was with good company, so I was joking, I was laughing with them, and I had a good time with, you know, with them. The game itself wasn't great, it wasn't a fun game, but I was joking, trying to insert theme in there, bantering with the others, and that's why I still enjoyed my time, but yeah, this is not a game I want to play again, I, I, I just don't, it's too wrong, too long, too random, doesn't look great, it's just another one of those stupidly long Euro games that for some reason people are going to love, you know, because... I don't get what it is. What is it that every time somebody makes a really long game, it just gets all the buzz? Is it the fact that like heavy Euro gamers and that just will not accept a game unless it takes a minimum of three hours? Do they just have too much time on their hands? They've got no other hobbies or something? I don't know. But it just seems to be that way. All the games that are really popular at the moment always seem to be the ones that are three plus hours. And randomness seems to get, you know, it seems to get forgiven in those games. I've seen some people sort of go, oh, well, I don't like, there's too much randomness, I think, in like Architects of the West Kingdom or some other, like, or Viticulture. There's too much randomness in Viticulture, I don't like it. Viticulture is a 90-minute game, yet they'll turn around and say, oh, well, I really like Space Corps, it's a really cool game. So hang on a minute, you're alright with the randomness in a 4-hour game, but you don't like the randomness in a 90-minute game. Okay, um, Pockettel Black... Yeah, I don't get it. It just seems to be the way that the mentality of a lot of Euro gamers is happening at the moment. But for me, Space Core, probably a four. It's it's an average game. If you put me with the right people, I might play it again. But frankly, I'm not going to lose any sleep not playing this one again. It's just another one of GMT's affairs where it's just too much fiddliness, not any good aesthetics, too much randomness, and... There are so many other better space games. I'm going to turn around right now. Oh, look, there's Empires of the Void 2. Far better space game. Take that one. Next up, I want to briefly mention uh, the uh, Arkham Horror event that I was doing there. Uh, we did the Labyrinth of Lunacy. This was a 12-person Arkham Horror game. I did Guardians of the Abyss at the Expo, and that was basically lots of different groups of four, but you basically collated your results at the end. You didn't actually interact with those teams, and they didn't affect you greatly. It was basically just a big event. This one, though, you need teams. You essentially are in this, well, not 
it's not labyrinth like you might be thinking of, but basically it's almost like something out of saw. But you you wake up, you don't know where you are, you've got a note, there's nasty stuff around, it's Arkham Horror, what do you expect? But the idea is, is that you play in three separate groups. And I think you can do it with more groups. Uh, oh no, actually, group A, B, C, it needs to be three groups. And the idea is, is that you all play the same scenario, but you're using slightly different cards, depending on which group you're in. And the setups are slightly different, and even your story arc is a little bit different. You have to read your specific bit. But as you play through the game, you have to be in sync with each other, because you have end-of-round effects that might trigger, which means that groups have a means to interact with each other. Now, you might be trying to help all of you get through, and ideally you should, but maybe, you know, you want to get through and the other groups don't matter and you want to make life a bit easier for yourself and, you, you know, and to hell with the people who are on the other side. You can do stuff like that in this one. But it's really interesting because the idea being that you're, you're, you, as, the, as a player, know that you're, the others are there as well. But as the investigator, you're just like, okay, I do this. What does that do? Didn't seem to do anything. But what you did then gave a bonus to another group. And then they benefit from it. And then suddenly something they do benefits you. There's a lot of cooperation in this version of the game. And you definitely do need the free groups. I mean, some people, I think, have tried to do it with less players, maybe even solo. But I just don't think it works as well. You need, ideally, free groups are free. I don't think you could even get through the scenario two-player, although somebody would probably prove me wrong, I'm not an expert, but three groups are three, or three groups are four, and you're laughing, that's a perfect setup for this, and I don't want to say much more because I don't want to spoil any of the story, but suffice to say, I really enjoyed this. I took my Carolyn deck with me, the one I used at the expo, and I pretty much guided the group of three people I was with through the scenario. They played Arkham, but not very much. So this was a jump. You know, two of them had not even started the Dunwich Legacy Cycle. So Legacy Cycle? Dunwich Cycle. So, yeah, the jump in the Labyrinth of Lunacy was quite a step up for them. But I gave them a hand. I didn't alpha play it. You know, I just I gave them choices. I said, this is what sort of stuff happens. This is how my deck works. This is how your deck works. You know, what do you want to do with what you have? And they really enjoyed it. I mean, I got good feedback from them for helping them out. And I enjoyed playing and sort of being the guiding teacher from it. But we had a cool group. I mean, myself as Carolyn, we had uh, Ming-T or whatever her name is, uh, the Seeker. We had Mark Harrington as another guardian for killing stuff. And then we had Akachi, my favorite mystic, for just generally being a good jack of all trades. Although in this case, she was more about killing than anything else because uh, Mark Harrington got really unlucky with this, uh, her cards. And I think all the weapons were at the bottom of the deck. So we had to try and filch through most of the deck in order to try and get her something to do. But, you know, Carolyn, again, oh yeah, she came through, you know, MVP in that, she was just like healing horror, keeping everybody resourced up, cards up, you know, she was doing a cool job, but obviously needed backup from the others, because as soon as any enemies got near her, it's like, uh, would you mind just spell casting? Ah, thank you, <laughs> you know, just get it off me. But no, I had a really good time with that, you know, I look forward to more of those scenarios, I still haven't even done the two, like, was it Curse of the Rougarou and Carnival of Horrors or something, I haven't even done those two yet, and I want to do them, so next time I play through a campaign, which I've just got to finish off this uh, Circle Undone one, I've just got the recent um, uh, Fifth Mythos pack for that actually, looking forward to playing that. But I'm going to do another campaign, possibly the Dunwich cycle again, because I've got Return to Dunwich, I'll take an investigator through there solo, 
maybe two-handed, now probably solo, and I will probably try and do Curse of the Ruguru and kind of L of Horrors as like, you know, supplementary quests in there, you know, something to do, because I want to play them, and I don't want to play them standalone, I want to play them as part of like a massive campaign, so more on that soon, but yeah, I enjoyed the Arkham event, and I look forward to doing more, it's a great card game, you really should check it out. Next up quickly we have Islebound, and Islebound is a game I've wanted to play for so long, this Ryan Rockets, you know, other game, it's Red Raven games, it's that fantastic artwork, that lovely universe, I love it, I love that universe, great near and far, Empires of the Void 2, love it, Ancient World 2nd edition, uh, review will be going up, not any time this week or anything, but you know, it's on my agenda to review in the near future, so yep, you will get a review of that, spoiler alert, I like it. But yeah, oh, I wanted to try this one for so long because it's like, oh, this is the one that's escaped me. I haven't tried it with this artwork. And so I did get to try it. However, you got to be careful about getting your hype up too much. The game is good. I think it's good, but we were forced to play it two-player because unfortunately with some of these conventions, you know, you put up looking for players and people aren't interested to play anything unless it's three and a half hours long and it's dry as a bone. But, you know, that's just the way a lot of it is. But we played it with two players, and I'm grateful to the guy for showing me the game, despite it only being two players. And I enjoyed it. It's very light. It's very quick. You're basically just sailing your ship around all these different islands, getting money, doing little story events, you know, collecting wooden fish, building buildings, getting points, and, and stuff like that. It's a fairly simple little exploration game. But with two players, that's blatantly not the best way to play it. You want interaction with other players, you want people to block you with their ships, you want people to start nicking buildings and, uh, well not buildings, but you know, ports off you. You want more going on. So you definitely need to play this with three or four players. And I want to try it again with four players and see what it's like. But two players didn't really give me as much of a going into the game as I'd like, but it did teach me enough that I could play the game again and teach it to someone else, and Dice Portsmouth do have a banged up copy in their library. So it's one I want to check out more, but for now I'd give it about a 6, probably a 7. You know, I think it's a 6 with two players, but I'm hoping I can jump that up to at least a 7, if not an 8, with three or four players. But we'll have to see. Certainly I'm glad I got it played, that's Islebound. Also quickly, Feast for Odin, I got to play a game of that, I like, Feast for Odin I'm warming up a lot with, I didn't used to like it as much, then I started liking it more, now I'm actually starting to really love it, it's, it's one of those cool games that just took a while to grow on me, well this time I got to play it with the Norwegians expansion, with somebody else there who had it, and it's like, yes, I finally get to try that expansion, because I'm a moron for not jumping on it early enough when it went out of print, now I'm gagging for it to come back into print. But the Norwegian's expansion basically tidies up a few things from the old game and actually improves on it. Yes, it you know, effectively gives you more spaces and stuff to do, but it, it balances animals out to where they're actually a viable strategy and there's different types of animals. You've, it balances out the islands a bit and gives you more islands, gives you a whole column full of actions where it's more powerful but it has to be the last thing you do. It gives you more cards, it gives you more tokens, it gives you uh, ways to spend some of your dud occupations to get victory points if you don't want them. It just fixes a lot of these little mini things with the game. It even gives you a starting building that you can make, which is a bit like the sheds and the longhouses, but you can build it yourself and then it's your own unique thing. It's, it's just something nice and cool for a bit of added variety. And there's not much else to say really. It's a cool addition to the game. It, when it comes out again, I will buy it the second I see it. I will not make that mistake again. Obviously I want the English version, not the German version. But yeah, 
If you like Feast of Odin, I can honestly say from first impressions that the expansion is a must if you are a fan of Feast for Odin. If you barely get it to the table and you're not too fast, then maybe you can do without it because it is quite expensive. But certainly I would teach this game with Norwegians every time because frankly, you still need to teach a bucket load in the game anyway. Why not just have it be the Norwegian version rather than the base set version? So yeah, definitely worth your time if you can get hold of that expansion. And then finally, Roman Roll. This was a sort of semi-prototype of a game that David Turtsey is involved with. This is coming out in the future. He was showing it off at the Games Expo. This is almost a bit of a roll and write. It's a dice drafting game with roll and write, it's told. Although, to be honest, the way I see it, it's a roll and write game with dice drafting. It's the other way around, just like Harvest Dices. The idea is, is that you're in Rome and you are trying to get victory points by various methods but what you could be doing is you could be trading for coins, you could be conquering for points, you could be renovating roads for points, you might even just build buildings around Rome for points. And the idea is, is that you roll these dice and they've all got different symbols on and you take it in turns, Catan style, to draft these dice. And then after that, in turn order, you use the dice for resources, for doing certain actions, you know, there's different workers you need in order to do things. And so you've got this cool element of drafting dice, which I love, you know, I love doing that in games, you know, Pulsar 2849, Seasons, games like that, and even Harvest Dice. I love drafting dice. And on top of that, you've got the roll and write aspect, which is you when you build a building, you have to draw it on the map and write its name. And then you've got a meeple that moves across it. If you're doing roads, you know, you basically cross them off and you write stuff on your sheet. So it's more of a heavier roll and write. It's definitely one of the heaviest roll and writes I've seen for a while, but it's not like it's stupidly heavy. It's just there's a fair amount to take in, and obviously there's more paths that you can... There's different paths to victory, so it's certainly more involved. But for what it's worth, I think the game is pretty good. I liked it, and I enjoyed it. I feel it's going to go on a bit long, though, for what a roll and write should. I mean, it took us a while to get through it. Bear in mind, we were blind play testing this, though. So we literally read the rulebook in advance, and that was it. You know, we had to literally just go through it and see how easy it was to play the game with just the rulebook and one guy sitting over us to correct us if we got certain things wrong and obviously take notes. But overall, I enjoyed it. I look forward to giving this one a review, maybe if I can, when this comes out. I think if you're a Roll and Write fan, I think you, and if you want something a bit heavier, I think this will give you something to go for. David Turksey does a lot of cool stuff, so, you know, definitely his designs are worth looking at. And so, yeah, that's, I don't want to say much more about it because obviously it's subject to change and, and all that. But yeah, all in all, Roman Roll, I think, is pretty solid game if you like dice drafting or roll and write games i think you should give this one a look granted theme is a little bit lost and it's a very dry game at the end of the day you know the theme could be pretty much anything but it works here and it just like i say it's a setting it's more about the dice drafting the decisions you make and the multiple paths you could take to victory as well as asymmetrical player powers and abilities that you can unlock so there's a lot to be said that's pretty good about this game more on that probably nearer its release date.
Wow, that went on for a while actually. I'm just looking at how much time I've spent. So I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on the Dice Tower Awards because I already did an episode where I talked about the nominees and that in detail. But recently the Dice Tower Awards have been revealed. Yes, they did it at Dice Tower Con. Sadly, I can't go to Dice Tower Con. I wish I could. But, you know, they revealed them and so it's time to have a look at the results and see what I think. Now, of course, I have seen the results and I know what they are, but of course I've got my pad in front of me so I can scroll through them so I can reflect on what the nominees were and I'll give you my thoughts as to whether I agree with the result or not. So at the bottom we got the most innovative game and you know this went to Chronicles of Crime. I got no problems with this at all. I mean you had Keyforge, Detective, Nyctophobia, whatever that is, and The Mind. If The Mind had won the most innovative game I would have blown a gasket. You know, innovative my butt. You know, Keyforge I think stood a pretty good chance here and Detective, as cool as it is, I don't think it's enough to be innovative, for, for to be top innovative, but I would have given it a good runner-up along with Keyforge. But Chronicles of Crime won it, well done Lucky Duck Games, I think that was deserved. So next up, best two-player game, Keyforge, War Chest, Duel Assault Island, Haven, which I've still yet to try, in fact I'm trying to order it at the moment so I can get it played, and Mythic Battle, Battles Pantheon, which I've barely even touched. This award went to, well, you kind of guessed it, Keyforge. Personally, I prefer War Chest and Duel of Saw Island. Keyforge I liked at first, now it's starting to get a little bit dull. You know, the expansion hasn't helped, it's just the same old, same old, and it's luck of the deck. It's, it's alright, I don't mind it, but I'd rather play other two-player games, to be honest. But like I say, I think it's deserving of an award, because I don't think the game is bad. I just, I preferred certain other ones on this list, but I think, well done, it's a deserved award. Best theming between Detective, Western Legends, Roots, Stuff Fables, and Chronicles of Crime. You know, these were all pretty good selections, although Root? Eh, Root is pretty thematic, although it feels more almost like a GMT-style game. But there were some good contenders there, and the winner went to Detective. Well done, yes. I mean, I think that would have been my pick, maybe alongside Western Legends. But yeah, Detective is a fantastic deduction game. The theme just oozes from it every time I play it. I love it. I'm going through the campaign from LA Crimes at the moment. I still have to return to the one from the base set, but it's hard to return to the base set one because it's such an involved campaign. But now they're going to do like free, free like scenario campaigns, which is great. They're going to do standalone ones. Oh, it's such a great game. The theme is just juicy and ripe. Yeah, definitely deserved. Well done, Ignasty Trevor Jack, for that one. Best strategy game, yeah, Teotihuacan, Root, Underwater Cities, Coinburn, Brass Birmingham. I was so afraid that Brass Birmingham was going to take this one, and like I say, I'm not the biggest Brass fan, I think it's okay, but there's no way I would have stood for an expansion, a standalone expansion winning an award. Yeah, I don't care what you say about it, it's Brass with beer, that's all it is. But either given this to Underwater Cities or Teotihuacan easily, because I like both those games, and Teotihuacan, or however you pronounce it, won it in the end. I think that's deserved. I mean, as I look behind me right now, it's right behind me. So I even want to pimp it out with some bags that you can get on the BGG store. You know, it's a solid game, and spoiler warning, well, no, spoiler alert, anyway, the expansion, uh, the stupid name, Lake Jurassic Period or whatever it is, it's such a dumb name, but that expansion is going to really up this game. I love that expansion. It's a great one. Be on, be on the lookout when that comes out, if you're a fan of the game. Uh, best reprint, we had Fireball Island, Curse of Volcar, Brass, Endeavor Age of Sail, High Society, and Estates. I've not played the Estates. High Society is too small to really get an award for such a simple card game to reprint. Brass, 
I would have given this one if it had got best reprint because if you're going to make a very dry, fairly dull Euro game into like a reprinted form, this is how you do it. <laughs> I mean, it is a gorgeous looking reprint and I think you could not have done it any better if you're not going to change the rules. So I would have given it to Brass. I played Endeavor recently. I didn't play the original, but this seemed like a pretty solid game as well. But it went to Fireball Island, which to be fair, compared to its original one, yeah, I'd have gone with this one as well. Fireball Island is deserving of a very good... It's a cool family game. It's still on my shelf behind me. I don't know how much longer I'll hang on to it. I don't know if it's one I'm going to get played very often. It's better with families, but yeah, it's definitely a good fun laugh. Uh, best party game. So we had Decrypto, Just One, The Mind, bleh, Drop It, and Trap Words. Drop It's okay. Trap Words is average. Decrypto's all right. The Mind is garbage. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna get the mind into the, I'm gonna get the mind and garbage into as many sentences as I can. But Just One, I've only just played. I've bought it recently, and I finally got it played at my local game group. And it won the award, and rightly so. I think this is a Spill the Yaris nominee as well. Just One is a great party game. I, I looked at the rules and thought, this sounds so basic. Why is this going to generate a laugh? But it is so simple. It's co-op, so everybody can get into it. It's this great little party game where you have to try and get a, people in your team to guess a clue word. But the idea is, is that the rest of your team write down in secret a word that will help you guess what the clue word is. It's like that style of game. But the thing is, you write it on these dry erase easels and then you have to reveal it to each other. And if anybody puts the same clue as each other, they both get wiped. So the person guessing it might end up with a whole team worth of five clues that they have to somehow link together. Or they might end up with no clues even because everybody put the same thing and it gets wiped. So you've got this thing of, I've got to help my buddy get this clue, but it's circus. Do I want to put clown? Is my friend going to put clown? He seems like he'll put the most obvious thing. He's going to put clown, isn't he? So I'm going to put trapeze artist or something. I'm going to put trapeze. Fine, I'll put trapeze. And then everybody comes up with some weird answer and nobody put clown. It's like, oh, fuck, crying out loud. We could have helped him with that one. It's like, Ugh. it's a great little party game. Cheap. Easy, I'm going to take it to home to my parents next time I go. It is in my collection. It will stay there. It's a great party game. Well deserved of the award. Best ball game from a small publisher. Best game from a small publisher, whatever. Root, Chronicles of Crime, Vindication, which I've kickstarted but not played. Obsession, which I've barely even heard of. And Underwater Cities. I would have given this to Chronicles of Crime, really. I think, you know, out of the two, you know, it's slightly better than Underwater Cities for me. But it went to Root at the end of the day. Now, I don't hate Root. I think it's okay. I think it's good in a lot of ways, but it's so fragile. You need four players. It just does not work with less players. You need the balance of the factions. But the problem is, if you don't know what you're doing in the game, then you don't know how to use the faction to its full potential, which means somebody who does know how to play the game is just going to wail on everyone. It's a cool design. It's got a nice theme to it, and it looks cool. Although, it's not my style of artwork, but, you know, it looks cool. I can't say it's ugly. But yeah, I just, I prefer a lot of other games to Root. I just think it's too fragile. It's like Vast of Crystal Caverns. Again, that only works in very specific scenarios. And I think Root is the same. But you know what? Yeah, I, I'll give it to it. I would have preferred Chronicles of Crime, but it's not the end of the world. Uh, best game from a new designer. Now, this one was a little bit more uh, worrying because, well, actually, no. No, I'm thinking of another one. Cracks of Quedlinburg, Chronicles of Crime, Nyctophobia, Smartphone, Inc. and The Grim Forest. Not played Nyctophobia, not played The Grim Forest, and I've only barely played 10 minutes of Smartphone, Inc. Although, to be fair, I want to play it more because it seemed pretty good. 
I'd have probably given this to Chronicles of Crime again. I mean, to be fair, well done to Lucky Duck Games for getting so many nominations. But the cracks of Quedlinburg took it, and it's alright. Yeah, I'm fine with that. It's a good game. It's not one that I want to buy and keep, but the Quacks of Quellenberg is a decent push-of-luck game. You know, it's definitely the best one by this designer by far. <laughs> but certainly, yeah, it's definitely, I think, deserving of the award. It's a, it's a cool game. So, what do we got? Uh, was that? Yeah, that's best game from a new designer. Best family game. Uh, Fireball Island, Gizmos, Reef, Space Space, and My Little Scythe. Now, it would have been cool to have seen Reef take it. Gizmos is a bit too much, for, I think, for a family game. There's just too much going on in it. Space Space is alright. I've not played My Little Scythe, but I've heard good things, so maybe that should have done well. But yeah, this was going to go to Fireball Island. You know it. It went to Fireball Island. Yeah, no problem with that. Best Expansion, uh, Scythe, Rise of Fenris, Prelude, The Terraforming Mars, Role Player, Monsters and Minions, Great Western Trail, Rails to the North, Nobody Cares, Root, Riverfolk. I would have been surprised if an expansion that basically just introduces a new faction won it, but oh well. Great Western Trail, well you know what I think about that game, so I don't care about the expansion. <laughs> you know, people have said, you know, what, do you want to play it with us again? We'll put the expansion in. Unless this expansion fundamentally changes the way the game plays and actually makes it fun, I don't think I'm going to enjoy that game. So <laughs> I'm not that keen to do it. Now, as much as I give Terraforming Mars a bit of overrated nonsense, you know, it's 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 a good, it's alright game, but it's a bit overrated. Prelude is a fantastic expansion. I would have been perfectly happy if that had won this, actually. Roleplayer is a great game. Monsters and Minions is a great expansion, but to be number one, I probably wouldn't have gone that far. But I have to admit that Rise of Fembris for Scythe, oh yes, the campaign and those modules, they are so cool. And yep. It won the award. Yes, Scythe, The Rise of Fenris, can't have a problem with that. Great. Best cooperative game. Chronicles of Crime, The Mind, garbage. <laughs> Detective, uh, uh, Stuff Fables, and Just One. Just One is a great party game, but I don't know I'd want to make it the number one co-op this year. Stuffed Fables, not played. The Mind, garbage. So I'm going to I'm gonna say it all the way through this podcast. I mean, you're not going to stop me. <laughs> so I'm going to do it. <laughs> I don't like that game. I really hate it. But Detective, I would have given this one too. You know, I really love it. But, I mean, to be fair, both of those two games, Chronicles and Detective, I play mainly solo. So it doesn't really matter. That's it's co-op, I suppose, for me. But certainly, if I'm going to play this with people, I would want to play Detective with others. At the end of the day, though, it went to Chronicles of Crime. Tomato, tomato, they're both great games. I'm not going to mind. I personally would have gone with Detective, but oh well, still well done. Best game production. We have Rising Sun, we have Everdale, Grim Forest, Brass, Birmingham, and Fireball Island. Fireball Island's a cool production, but it is very plasticky and chinsy in places. I'm not really going to give that one it. Everdale is a pretty good production if you got the deluxe version, you know, and it's mainly the artwork. Don't know about Grim Forest, Brass, Birmingham. It is a good production, I'll give it that, you know, I, there is nothing wrong with the artwork or the production quality in that game at all, so if Brass was going to win anything, I would have been okay with it, but to be fair, you've got Rising Sun in there, I'm sorry, but that's taken though, that's taken it, and yes it did, Rising Sun, best production values, oh, it's such a gorgeous game. Uh, best artwork, Everdale, Root, Grim Forest, Cerebria, and Rising Sun, I like the artwork in Rising Sun fine, but I wouldn't put it as number one, Root, it's, it's good art, but it's just not my style. I wouldn't have given it to Root. Grim Forest, no. Cerebria I would have given it to, though, because I really like the art in Cerebria. It's a very gorgeous, colourful-looking game. In the end, though, it went to Everdale, which it's got brilliant artwork as well. In fact, now that I think about it, 
No, I probably would give it to Everdell, actually. Yeah, I mean, it is a gorgeous-looking game from its artwork. It looks very nice, really whimsical. It looks like something that you would expect Don Bluth to have made in the 90s and 80s, you know, those sort of films, like uh, Fifle Goes, uh, American Tale, and um, Secret of Nim. It looks like something it should be like there. I mean, it is a gorgeous-looking game. And then, finally, the game of the year. Now, for the most part, actually, I think... Yeah, for the most part, I've been happy with these awards. You know, I've been like, you know, it's either been the one that I would pick or it's been one that I feel, okay, fine, you can have this one. I'm not too bad. There wasn't any one that I've gone, oh, God, why did they pick that? This is where it kind of changes, though. The game of the year. Root, Tear to Huacan, Chronicles of Crime, Underwater Cities, Brass Birmingham, yeah, right, Western Legends, Architects of the West Kingdom, finally getting a nomination, and uh, to be fair, I think it's Daylight Robbery that they didn't get more nominations, and Rising Sun. And Everdell and The Mind. If The Mind had won Game of the Year, I would have resigned from gaming and blogging and just left the hobby. Because I just, I dread the day where we come to a point where something like The Mind, total garbage, is a game that we would call Game of the Year. Thank God that did not win it. <laughs> and Brass, again, expansion, standalone expansion, I don't care what you say, I would not have liked that one winning as well. But in the end, it was hard for me to choose which one I would say is best here. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff. But Root won it. That was unexpected. I know there's a lot of fans of Root, but again, it's so fragile. I mean, where are these people that have got this, like, perfect setup of four people who know exactly what they're doing in the game? Because that takes a bit of organising. But compared to these other games, though, I mean, Tilti Huacan, great game. Chronicles of Crime. Detective didn't even get nominated. I don't even get that. I mean, that's a fantastic game. Rising Sun, Neverdell, Architects of the West Kingdom, brilliant. Western Legends, brilliant. All these other games, except for Brass and the Mind, I would have been happy if they'd won it. Probably wouldn't have given it to Everdell, though. I mean, it's a good game, but game of the year, no. But yeah, there's loads of other choices. But Root won it. I mean, fair enough. Well done. You've created a game that's very popular. I'm not going to knock it. I would I would play this game again. It's just I wouldn't expect to win because I wouldn't know what I was doing with the faction. And I would only play it in certain circumstances. But, yeah. All in all, it's a solid... It's, a, it's an alright game. I just think there was better contenders for Game of the Year. But, well done to you guys. You know, you... How many awards did you win? Uh, one... Well, you got a fair few number of nominees. But I think you only won... Two, yeah, I think you won two, but you got nominated for quite a bit. So, uh, you know what? Well done to you guys. It's not, I don't think it's a bad game at all. I just think it's a bit too fragile for these things. So, yeah, Dice Tower Awards, all in all, probably the best set of Dice Tower Awards I've seen, actually, because in previous years there have been stuff where it's like, oh, that one or that one, come on, guys, why? And I vote on these awards, so, you know, I've already told you which ones I would have given my, I gave my votes to, but I'm pleased to see that a lot of games that I voted on actually ended up winning in a lot of these cases, you know, these were ones that I really liked, but there was a lot of good contenders, so even if my personal picks didn't win, it was good to see that my runner-up picks ended up winning for the most part, so, yeah, this is a good set of awards this year, but, yeah, like I say, awards, it's subjective, take it on the chin, it's it's cool to see things get accolades, but at the end of the day, do you like the game or not? That's the main thing. I don't think we've had the Spiel Diara stuff revealed uh, winners yet for this year, so that'll be interesting when that comes along, but, you know, I'd love at some point for the Broken Meeple to be big enough that I could do my own awards, but uh, that's probably a bit of a pipe dream. 
I would certainly just like to have somebody design me some stuff like, you know, approved or recommended or excellent or something that I could stick, you know, that publishers would put on their games. I'd love to get to that stage. Don't suppose anybody knows a cheap graphic artist in Portsmouth, do they? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. If only Patreon could r r raise more money that I could do that easily, though, because it probably would not come cheap. And I don't have the artistic skill to do it myself. Anyway, I'm starting to ramble, so I'm going to get on with editing this podcast because I want to get this uploaded today, and I want to get on and play this war of mine that is sitting on my table waiting for me to play it so that I can consider whether it's worth considering for my top 100. Yes, the top 100's coming. I gotta prepare for it. Sometime in August, I will be releasing those videos, but... How I'm going to do it, I don't know in terms of the format. I need to constrain it a bit more compared to the previous years because doing 10 videos in that much detail with that much time took forever. It is painful. It is very stressful. So I need to try and do maybe like 20 a video or 25 a video and not go in as much detail, not so much transitions, maybe do it vlog style with wide angle lens, that kind of thing. You know, I need to be able to get through it a bit quicker. But of course, First things first, the fun bit, I get to actually collate the list. Thank you PubMeeple for your ranking tool. It looks like it's going to be better than it ever was. I look forward to spending some time at work when I probably should be doing work, but you know, you know, in my lunch hour, you know, joking aside, actually doing the pub ranking tool. I can't wait to get started on that, so you have that to look forward to, guys. This will pretty much be on YouTube though, so you know, that's I, I don't think it would work as an audio thing, but maybe I'll put it on the podcast bit. We'll see. You can give me your feedback on that. So without further ado, I'm going to get on with the editing part. So take care. I hope you enjoyed this uh, fairly lengthy episode. And remember, doesn't matter if you think the mind is total garbage or not. Either way, as long as you enjoy the game, that's the main thing. Just remember, as always, it's only a game. So take care, take it for what it's worth, and I'll see you or hear listen to you on the next Broken Evil Podcast. Thank you all for listening to my content and I hope it was enjoyable for you. If you want to catch me at other sources, then there's plenty to choose from. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can find me at all of these places. Just search for The Broken Meeple on Facebook and you will find me. Same for Instagram. On Twitter, you can catch me at The Broken Meeple. On YouTube, just search for The Broken Meeple and you will find my channel full of videos about top 10s, reviews, solo walkthroughs, and all sorts of other things besides. Of course, you can subscribe to this podcast via the RSS feed on soundcloud.com. This is where episodes will be posted in the future, as well as audio-only feeds on YouTube. The Broken Meeple is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. As always, remember my motto, it's only a game.